Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and cool, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest Please leave your message for Andrew Guffon. Nothing has been recorded. Record your message after the tone. Simply hang up when done. Or for delivery options, press the pound sign. Nothing has been recorded. Record your message after the tone. Simply hang up when done. Or for delivery options, press the pound sign. Okay, are you there, Google? Thank you for calling. Goodbye. <laughs> Hello. Cool, are you there? Wow, what an Hello. interesting set of like crazy circumstances. Wow. I can't get in on the blog talk board either, man. Are you there? Can you hear me? I am here. Can you hear me? I can. What a weird fucking set of circumstances to kick off the episode. I apologize for that uh, weird interruption. Uh, I could not dial in for some reason. I was the ghoul, I guess, was having a hard time, too. But we are here uh, with a new episode of the show. Wow. Indeed. <laughs> um, so and everybody got to hear the full energy. length of our, our intro theme song. So that that that's something new for everybody. There you go. That is the entire song <laughs> of it's the greatest so show on earth. So that is great. So I don't know why I was having trouble. Uh, I was dialing and it just kept dialing over and over again. So no idea why that was an issue. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm real proud of King of Horror. And did you welcome you back to the show tonight? We are going to be discussing 2019's Us, directed by Jordan Peele, which is my pick of the week. As always, you just heard him, folks. Yay! All the beautiful, the cool geek teeth. I am here. I exist. I am not. Are, my are, are you? Whoa. Excellent, excellent. And welcome back, Doc, as well to the show. Glad to have you back here. Oh, it's always my esteemed pleasure. Well, at least we only missed, like, what, two minutes of the show, so we're good. Hopefully it's smooth sailing 
for the rest of the show. No more issues. Um, That's two minutes that people tuned in. They didn't hear shit. And then they heard your answering machine or your voicemail or something. They're gone. We lost all the listeners in one freaking fell swoop, dude. So sorry. (laughs) I'm sure most of them listened to uh, the recorded episode. Not live. I know a lot of people I talk to listen to it uh, recorded, so I don't think now, we lost that. We've, like we've got to rebuild from the ground up now. That's it. <laughs> rebuild from the ground up. Episode one, talking to Eric, how you doing? <laughs> but it's time for you know, a lot of our listeners listen. Yeah, not a reboot, but it's a reconsideration of podcasting, I guess, dealing with blog talk. But, uh, yeah, most of our friends listen uh, recorded. I know that much. So they will not miss much, but they'll be able to hear the whole theme, like the Google said, so. That is exciting. They'll be able to hear the whole talking terror theme. They don't miss much, but they know we love them. No, we do. We love you all, talking terror fans. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to, to kick off the show quick. I got one thing to talk about uh, pertaining to last week's episode. But first, uh, Ghoul, you dropped the news today that Rucker Howard passed away at the age of 75. That's, uh, that's a big one, if you ask me. It's pretty, uh, pretty notable. Yeah, yeah, you know, obviously – Happened to just pop into the uh, the old Facebook throughout the day and and caught it through another friend, you know. And that is a, that is a drag, you know. Rucker Hauer is just one of those actors that, you know, no matter what the film was, no matter what the quality of the film was, there was always something about his presence and his his acting method that stood out. You know, he had a very unique and foreign look about him. I know he was born in the Netherlands, but, you know, he just had, he had a, a, a strange look about him physically. But then when he would, he would speak, it would be so, so eloquent and so direct sometimes that you just were just locked into the words that were coming out of this guy's mouth. Um, you know, and then, like I said in our, in our group message, you know, one of my favorite movies, of all time is Blind Fury, and that's like oh, yeah. one of those. That, <laughs> so like when I when I moved to New Jersey and we finally got cable, that was on like heavy rotation. So like I watched this movie so many damn times. Like, yeah, man. It was on heavy I heavy rotation. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about uh, you, Doc? And some favorite uh, Rucker Howard I know you're right up there with me with Eric Red's The Hitcher. I think that's my favorite Rucker Howard. Yeah, I mean, The Hitcher, you know, uh, Rucker Howard aside, uh, you know, when it comes to, to genre films in the 80s, is one of those that that carved an immense piece uh, into my movie-watching soul. Uh, that's one of those that I just saw right at that correct age. It was a, it was a staple on HBO or Cinemax or Showtime or something. And like, you know, when I'm 10, 11 years old and catching it and watching it when I, uh, you know, shouldn't have been. And that movie and his performance, uh, without a doubt, scared the living shit out of me. Uh, I, absolutely love the hitcher i love his performance in the hitcher and you know what the ghoul said is true this is an actor who had a distinct on-screen presence and and way of talking uh that always made him memorable uh there are some things that i have read and not just today 
because um, I actually didn't get a chance to really do any reading today, but that I've read previously. Uh, he had his kind of genre reemergence uh, to things a little bit more popular with uh, a few years ago. Maybe it's a little more than a few years ago now with Hobo and a Shotgun, but there was like this Rucker Hauer moment, and, and some there are some that believe because of his interesting look and sound uh, that the you know, main, more, more mainstream success was just not something that was going to be in the cards for him uh, when it came to his career. But he has something like 170-something acting credits. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. He's been in far more things that I've never heard of and never seen than things that I have seen. Um, so, you know, steadily, uh, steadily working, uh, for sure. Uh, but when I think of Rutger Hauer... Um, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, the first thing I think of is the hitcher. Uh, something else that I think of, uh, is like a kind of cat and mouse detective, uh, movie with Sylvester Stallone, uh, from, I don't know, the very late seventies or very early eighties called Nighthawks. Yeah. Um, also something that I think of. I can't remember uh, who else was in it but him, and I know that uh, Matthew Broderick was in it, called Lady Hawk. Mm. And then, uh, you know, when I think of Rutger Hauer's career, I know the 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 ghoul brought up Blind Fury. Uh, there is one more that I can think of, and if memory that that stands out for ones that I've definitely seen and enjoyed, uh, I can't. It very well might have been an H, like a made-for-HBO movie or a made-for-cable movie, uh, but it was called Deadlock. And okay. um, he was a convict. Uh, they had these uh, necklaces around their necks that would explode. Um, and uh, I remember that one uh, very well also. But, you know, uh, yeah. so... I can't, I can't for certain say, oh my God, I'm the, you know, the biggest Rutger Hauer fan, uh, because I'm certainly not. But there are certain roles that I that I know him from, uh, that for certain stand out without question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was a ton of movies, and you would recognize him right away. Um, he reminded me a lot of Udo Kier in a lot of ways. Whenever I saw Udo Kier in a movie, I'm like, that's Udo Kier. Like he's a character actor. Um, I remember him uh, also being in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the film with Christy Swanson, you know, playing the, the head vampire. Excellent in that movie. Uh, there was another movie he did in 94, because you were talking about HBO movies. He did one called Homeland, where he was playing a Nazi kind of going up against his own party, which is a really good film. Um, so, yeah, he was always working. You, you look at his IMDb, like the doc had said, and he's just consistent. You know, it never was a break in his career where he stopped for a little while and then came back for a resurgence. He was always working, you know, and Hobo was I saw great. that movie. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I saw that movie, Deadlock, that you're talking about. And now, I guess now they've, they've renamed it. Uh, I guess they renamed it to Wedlock. But yeah, I totally I'm remember that. It. I'm flick, actually man. researching it, him, it right Mimi now. Rogers, dude. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> this was this film, uh, James Reamer. Uh, this film, uh, it was. It was made for, it was an HBO movie. This was not like a, a theatrical right release this movie was made for TV and was uh, debuted on HBO. Uh, but yes, uh, they're like thieves and they're in the, the, the they're inmates and they have um, 
collars around their necks and uh and they can't go a certain each distance. Inmate, yeah, each inmate has like an inmate partner and if you go a certain distance away from that person the collars explode. Uh so uh he and his inmate par- person partner uh try to escape uh and have to stay close so their collars don't explode while they're on the run from uh authorities. I'm gonna have to check that out. That sounds really interesting. I've never heard of it, so that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, let's put it this way. I mean, it's an interesting concept, but, like, let's not forget that this is a 1991 made-for-HBO film, so approach uh, with caution. Yeah, Along the same lines well. as Spontaneous Combustion, starring Brad Dourif. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not saying why. Okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll still want to check it out because, you know, I like Rucker Howard. The premise sounds interesting, even though it's a low-budget HBO movie. I mean, I'll Hitcher, never forget a big budget movie either. Good. No, but the Hitcher, the Hitcher, you know, at that period in time, let's not forget, at that period in time, uh, that was a starring vehicle for C. Thomas Howell, who was yeah. humongously popular at that time. Uh, that was a that was a Hollywood film uh, that was given like a wide theatrical release. I don't have its box office uh, numbers and such in front of me, but. You know, this mm-hmm. wasn't some late night toss off made for HBO movie. The Hitcher was like, you know, the Hitcher stands out when it comes to genre in the '80s for certain. It's a it's a much different kind of film. Yeah, and much better than the remake that came out many years later with Sean Bean playing the uh, John Never saw it, And I'm pretty sure uh, wasn't C. Thomas Howell in that? Oh no, they made like he a was, sequel. Yeah. They made a sequel yeah, he was in uh, like way, 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 way later with that C. Thomas Howell mm-hmm. was in. Um, yeah, with uh, Jake Busey Jake, playing the killer. Jake Busey, yeah, 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 yeah. I never saw it. I never saw that. I never saw the remake. Um, yeah, I saw the sequel many years ago. Uh, Jake Busey, like I said, played the killer. It was called He's Always Watching or He's Always Near or something like that. wasn't nearly as good as the original, uh, but it definitely had a lot of flashbacks to the original. So it was one of those sequels where they're like, hey, remember that first one? We're just going to show you a lot of flashbacks to that one, so because this movie isn't as strong. So in one of those ways, it's good, but it's a passable. It's like an HBO movie since we're talking so much about HBO-directed movies. That's the way it felt to me. Uh, but, yeah, that remake with Sean Bean and Sophia Bush, it, it's, you know, passable, but it's nowhere near as good as the original. I think, I think if, if, memory, if memory serves correct, the ghoul loves Sophia Bush. I love her I Bush, and I, I I love her backside in Van hmm. Wilder. Um, who's who's the girl? The, who's who's their supply? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, but yeah. Oh my God! When like yeah, when 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 Tara Reid walks in, and and you just get <laughs> that that when, great the shot. Home oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, yes, I indeed enjoy some some Sophia Bush. Uh, obviously, though, the, the the big one of the big big roles of Rucker Hauer was in Blade Runner. Um, yeah, oh, you yeah. know, which fantastic film. You know that that again, I came to very late. Um, one that for years, you know, I, I spent hearing everybody talk about it being great. Saw it time and time and time again in the video store just never would go to watch it finally you know a couple just a couple years ago finally watched it and and yeah you know just his performance in that film is phenomenal the, the his his speech is just the, mm-hmm. the, the tears and rain monologue is just you know it, yeah. it's amazing and it's yeah and to, to know that he wrote that 
checked himself. He kind of like just went off and, and did this within, you know, whatever amount of time and kind of fiddled with the script to, to, to perform this one, this one moment in this film that is just so important and just really just drives home the main theme and message of what Blade Runner is. Yes, that that is the penultimate Rucker Hauer when I think of him. Yeah, here's yeah. a here's a here's a here's a statement. Uh, I have never seen Blade Runner. Okay, well, that's all right. I mean, it's you know it's very I, like I said, I just saw it a couple of years ago, so I can't, I can't fault anybody for not seeing it. It's not one of those. No, you know what that... I mean. It's just I know it's not like you know one of the biggest blockbusters of all time and everything, but. I have for like uh, if there's a, I have I have in my mind I don't have this on paper but in my mind I have this like list of films that are either legendary or held in high esteem or high regard uh mm-hmm. that I've never seen but like the the amount of garbage that I have seen is just never ending uh you know so when I think of a movie like Blade Runner and then think of like 30 other movies that are absolute garbage that I've watched. It's just the scales. It's the tipping of the scales that sometimes gets, gets me, you know, like I can start rattling off some of these other great, great esteemed movies that I've never seen. Um, and then the rattle off the fucking the garbage that we I have watch seen. again and again and again and again and again. I know. It's like, hey, I've got like two I'm or three not... hours to kill. What should I do? Should I watch something? Yeah. Like, should I finally watch Citizen Kane? I've only owned it on <laughs> Xbox for, I don't know, a year and a half now. A year and a half. And yeah, I still yeah. haven't gotten around to watching what's considered right. one of the greatest movies of all time. I know. And you know, the only reason I saw that, the only reason I saw that is because I took a film class once and it was shown in that class um yeah it's always you know but the the list of things is is you know the the tipping of the scale sometimes blade runner is is one of those that i think of yeah you know meanwhile i watched super bad again the other night you know like i found the time to fucking laugh and watch that that's a good movie though i like super bad it's passable (laughs) i mean they have the uh the little kid version now that's coming out called Good Boys. Yeah, they have the, the little the race. little kid version coming out. I find I find when I watch Super Bad, like it's it's like oh, and it's not that old, but I find it to be very dated no. already. In a way, it is. Uh, you know, I, I have not really like I have not sat down and watched Super Bad from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I think maybe I've seen that movie a total of two times complete. You know, watching it like yeah, hey, I saw it down and watch this movie from from beginning to end. I did um, I've watched it so few times, and I love that because you know what? When I do finally get around to like, because I just ended up buying it the other day for like four ninety nine on Xbox, and I like I, I put it on the That's other night, weird. and I was like cracking up, <laughs> like holding my stomach, cracking up, you know, because I have not seen this in so long that I can still find it that funny. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's I still find it funny. I just, I just find it to be a yeah. little bit dated. That's all. Mm-hmm. It definitely has that like weird mid two thousands comedy vibe to it, where it dates it a little bit. But it, it, I can still put it on with some Comedy Central a lot late night. I'll put it on because they uncensor it, so it's not all they don't bleep out everything. Um, mm-hmm. But talking about Good Boys that, looks uh, really funny. Good Boys looks good. I don't know. If, you know, I mean, it's weird because I see a lot of people making the same kind of argument that I'm making of. I don't know if I want to see like really, really preteen kids 
you know, being into all the dick and ball jokes, you know, on screen. Maybe, Dude, oh, come visit shit. my classroom, buddy. Come visit my classroom. Yeah, yeah seriously. Like, I, you know, I don't know about you guys. I mean, I got, obviously, we don't Dude. know what the king did in his childhood. I think the king might have just been born old. Um, but, like, I know, like, watching these kids in this trailer, like, I just, I just see so many things that I either did or I said you know, obviously I didn't have the internet at that time, but that one fucking line where the kid is like, he was kissing her asshole. Do you want to put your mouth near somebody's asshole? Like, I'm just thinking some of the first times I saw certain things in, in whether it was pornography or whether it was that one mm-hmm. time I went to go to the bathroom as a kid and I turned the corner and I fucking saw my stepdad banging my mom from behind in the living room. You know, like, like one of those types of moments. Like, these are the things that, like, stand out in my head as a preteen. So yes, this yeah. movie absolutely just nails that. Glad I never saw yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, it's not that I was born old. It's just that you know I didn't have a lot of friends growing up, so a lot of my time was spent on TV watching horror movies. So I wasn't like with a group of kids going, "Man, check out that girl's tits." Like I was like, no, I was more like, oh, I can't wait to watch Dracula when I get home from school. <laughs> I mean, that's the you know, the way I was as a kid. You know, scoring the. It's scoring the Erica Aleniak issue of Playboy, you know, the first time ever seeing a blonde bush. Incredible. Mm, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but going back to, to childhood and talking about movies that everybody thinks that we should see, at least last week everybody thinks that we should see, is the never-ending story from, uh, you know, way back in the day. Uh, the challenge is put out there by the ghoul for me to watch it. And he would watch Happy Death Day to you. Uh, I actually did go and see Neverending Story this past Saturday with the Mad Monkey, who's not here, so he can't tell you the story. Uh, but I did go see yeah, it I know in fixing, the theater. You know, re- replacing a window unit is such a trying, try- trying uh, time. It is. It is. It's a very trying, taxing time for the monkey. And plus, uh, his wife had a flat tire they had to fix, and the, the, the stair was flat. So he's dealing with a lot of shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, never ending story. Wow, what a fucking movie! Still a man to the monkey's an air conditioner. <laughs> that movie felt like it was three hours long. I couldn't believe that it was only an hour and thirty-five minutes. I was like, this movie is so long and drawn out. I mean, I luckily I was with you know uh, the monkey and his wife who didn't mind me making some jokes at the movie, uh, and I had a lovely girl sitting next to me as a friend of ours who was bopping along to the theme song and laughing at some of my jokes because. Did yeah, you hold hands? I just, I, no, we didn't hold hands. She was too busy doing the never ending theme song. No, none of that. None of that. Did you do the popcorn box? Did you jerk off the monkey and finger her at the same time? I jerked off the monkey a little bit because he was getting bored. But no, other than that, no, it's pretty much just straightforward movie watching with the, the kid Atari or whatever the fuck his name was. Atreyu. Atreyu? And I didn't get it. Yeah, I kept calling him Atari for some reason because I couldn't remember his name. I was like, the kid that looks like Jonathan Taylor Thomas on a good day, walking with his horse. And then mm-hmm. uh, they had like the weird homeless kid. Well, he wasn't homeless. He had a dad that really didn't care that his mom died. So he's just like, yeah, your mom's dead. Deal with it, bitch. I got to go to work after I drink this orange juice and eggs. Like, <laughs> so weird. It was the 80s, man. It was a hard time for yeah, that's everybody. What, that's what okay. the monkey kept telling like, That kid was Daryl, okay. man. Your fucking yeah, parent died. Battle. You just had to move on. And that was Barrett yeah, Oliver, okay? That, Barrett um, Oliver was in, like, everything for, like, a four-year mm-hmm. stretch. There was, like, not Barrett, one fucking Barrett thing Oliver that you could turn Darryl, around and dude. not see that kid. 
Yeah, I know he yeah, was Daryl. I, I saw Daryl. 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 Daryl, I don't, and this is right off the top of my head. I haven't seen that movie in 20-something years. I haven't read the book in probably 30 years. Daryl, data mm-hmm. analyzing robot youth life form. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Nicely done. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to buy like, that this it'll... weekend now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, the movie has well, a whole book of the movie. I mean, just... The movie, and then I'm going to complain that I have no money. <laughs> um. The the one thing that um, I wanted to ask you guys, because you saw this movie. I know Bully saw it in the theater. Uh, this is my first time seeing mm-hmm. it. Uh, they have the scene with the horse that falls under the swamp, and the kid's like, no, no, yeah, don't die on me, You didn't cry? Like, in the swamps like don't, don't die on me, man. Like, think cry? happy thoughts, positivity, man. And, and then the horse goes in, and then everybody's really sad, and the, the girl that was with us, our mutual friend of monkeys and I, she was crying. Monkey's wiping his eyes. His wife's wiping his eyes. And I'm like, what did the you, fuck is everybody did so you sad comfort, about? Did you comfort her? I told her it's going to be okay. I was like, we only introduced this character five seconds ago. How are you guys so upset about this horse? We, what relationship did they have? He just woke up and he's like, hey, man, we're going on an adventure. The next thing, he's dead. I was like, so how are kids upset by this? Because you don't even really know the relationship just, that they had. Just so he everybody knows out there, the king likes to shit on puppies. He does. He sees puppies. He doesn't think they're cute. He doesn't think they're adorable. He doesn't like to pet them. The king just drops trow and just takes a yeah. big, smelly dump on them. That's exactly I heard what he's I mean do. to old people, too. I, I, you know, yes. Uh, yes, he is. If I, if I, my, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. But when I think back to the never-ending story. You may be right. I am... <laughs> I may be right. I'm be crazy. I, I may be crazy. Uh, the never-ending story might be the cause of the first time that I ever cut school. Mm. Just wow. like in the movie. Wow, man. Living the well, life. The reason, the reason Joe, for that is there was like a uh, – before it became a permanent thing, there was like a brief window uh, in my home life uh, in that like kind of 1986 to 1989 window – where both of my parents left for work before I had to go to the bus stop for school across the street. And mm-hmm. I had, I had never, and they would be home. Like I would get home from school before they would get home from work. Uh, but I was also, you know, it wasn't of my mindset was like, Oh, I'm not going to go to school today. I was in like, I don't know what, how, how, what grade are you in when you're 10? Is that like fifth grade, right? Fifth grade. Um, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. The, I mean, Sam is yeah, nine. Is. She's going to be ten next year, and she's going into fourth. So yeah, when you're ten, fifth sounds about right. Mm-hmm. The never-ending story came on HBO. I had never seen it, but I'd heard of it. Like when I was like having breakfast and like waiting for the whatever the time was, I was to go outside for the bus stop, and uh, I got sucked right in. And that scene with the horse happened, and it was very emotional. And like I, I, put, I, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I just didn't go to school and I stayed home so I can finish watching the movie. <laughs> Good. So you were kind of like this kid who just snuck away in an attic, and his father never noticed that his kid was missing for like two days. So that was good. That's nice parental uh, guidance in the '80s. Your kid's hanging out in an attic with cool shit in it, and he's scared. Um, yeah. Luckily, yeah. I mean, Monkey was sitting next to me. You know, the girl that we were with, our mutual friend, was sitting next to me. 
And I thank God that they didn't yell at me because I started laughing hysterically at the end of the movie because of the conclusion where the little girl empress is like, oh, man, <laughs> I totally knew all this shit was going to happen. I mean, all he has to do is just make a name for me. And he's like, the fuck? And I was like, what is going on? All this kid has to do is name her? Call her Joe. Call her whatever the fuck you want. End this movie. <laughs> and then he just screams out of a window something I couldn't even understand. I had to ask the monkey afterwards. I'm like, what the fuck did he scream out into the rain? He's like, Moonchild. I was like, yep, because that's the name I would come up with in this movie. And I'll just be like, her name is Steve now. And I just saved the world. Thank you. End of movie. Old man king. <laughs> yeah, that was my reaction. Like, are you even thirty yet, King? Are you like twenty? Are you like twenty-eight? Aren't you I'm even 35. Are you thirty years old yet, dude? I'm thirty-five. Right. Right. Yes. And then to have I, I this can't. giant demon dog named Falcorn terrorize kids in like Chicago, fucking that was hilarious. I was like, everybody's like, oh hey, look at that. It's another day in Chicago. We got a giant white dog terrorizing people. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, listen, I, I can get. On the whole ending thing, um, you know, because I know even as a kid, I found it maybe a little confusing, and yeah, you can't really understand what it is that he's yelling out the window, you know, between the sound effects, the the the, the, the loud lightning crash, all that stuff. Um, I know it from the the, the the book. The reason I'm laughing right now is because I put it into a Reddit real quick, and somebody wrote, "Her name is Ablashadasha," because they obviously didn't understand what he fucking said either. So that's what they came up with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen. Again, I'm glad you finally saw the movie. You know, I, I had a feeling this would be your reaction to it. Like we said, I think you were born old. Um, I don't know if it was because you didn't have many friends or just because you're just curmudgeon that way, man. But regardless, it's one of these classic movies that if you saw it when you were a kid, you would have really enjoyed it. Most kids, 99% of the kids out there, not the king of horror, but 99% of everybody else. So everybody else, yeah, well, I feel yeah, good yeah, about the king, yourselves. The king of the horror king is just watching the when it comes to kiddie stuff. Yeah been touting, touting the benefits of Dr. Giggles his whole fucking life. Yes, because Dr. Giggles is a fucking great movie, and I saw that at a young age, and I loved it. I wasn't a fan of fantasy movies. I don't like, you know, swords and fantastic places and beasts and uh, dogs and, like, little old people that are midgets, and they want to have a turn with a little kid. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't my bag. You know, I mean, I, I was glad to go. I was glad to get underneath my belt. They don't want to say I saw it, but, man... Was not the movie that I was hoping it would be. Well, unbeknownst to me, while you guys were busy watching the never-ending story, you know what I did find funny is that that exact same day, at that exact same time, I was actually watching Happy Death Day to You. Um, so my go? part was fulfilled as it was. I'll be perfectly honest. I did not find the movie to be as entertaining as the original. I guess it's a okay. decent enough follow-up, but nowhere near as good as the first one. The first one had a, a flair of originality to it. This movie felt like they were just trying to go back to the well, and then at the same time they were like, but we got to be different, so let's kind of turn it into a time travel type of 
thing, and I don't know. Just it, it got too convoluted. It started going over itself. I didn't mind it. Like I said, it it, it wasn't as simplistic as the first one, where it was more like a horror version of uh, Groundhog's Day. I, you know, they did bring in like the time travel element and different dimensions, and I mean, I just thought it was a fun movie. I mean, it, it, it was definitely setting up for a third one that we know that we're never going to get, but. It had great. It had funny moments. I was laughing during the movie. I'm still having a good time with it. That, the montage of her killing it this herself, way. I thought it was the best part of the entire movie. The first film, Sammy is a huge fan of. Huge. She loves the first oh. Happy Death Day. She hey, uh, do I have to cut you off for a second? I have to cut you off mm-hmm. real quick because the girl that I went to the movie with is actually on the line because I think she wants to defend the movie, A Neverending Story. So I want to get her thoughts. Oh, she's just defending it against you. We love it. Hello, you're there with us. <laughs> yeah, I'm Welcome absolutely to going to defend this movie because, because first of all, as I've already said, this entire movie spurred a generation of kids to read books. So the movie was vitally important to all kids growing up in the 1980s. And you should not be so hardened as to not be able to enjoy this film. It was fantastic. It's a fantastic movie, and I don't understand what your problem is with fantasy films, but you should really honestly, like, let go of that and enjoy films like The Never Story. I mean, I'm sorry, Sean, yeah. you were with me. You saw how much I was shaking with laughter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And thank you for calling in, son, for being our first caller in, like, a hundred odds in, in, in the last hundred shows. Easy. Uh, it's like it's been a while episodes? since we've had one. Uh, I wish we had more, so we appreciate that. Uh, so can you give us uh, a kind of rundown play-by-play on the demeanor of the King of Horror as you guys were getting ready to go to the movies? <laughs> like, what was, was he, was okay, he all, making, like, all, was he, go ahead. He, he, he cried. <laughs> he, there were actual tears. And I was really surprised because I was like, how is a man crying over seeing a fantasy film? But there were, there were tears and Real anxiety. There was a real anxiety about seeing the film. <laughs> this is before we walked mm-hmm. in. Was it so? You should say so that. Let me make sure that, I, that I understand. So you're saying the king of horror was crying tears it. of anxiety at the prospect of having to see this film. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Was he was he trying to make was he people. making nervous jokes on the ticket line like making nervous jokes and trying to make fun of it like going in? No, it was just a. a a stream of, I don't want to do this. Why the fuck are we doing this? I don't want to be here. Okay. There was, there was no joke involved. The, the King of Horror has told us that during the viewing of this film, uh, that he was cracking uh, lots of jokes uh, and, and that people were enjoying them. Would you think that's an accurate statement? Were you enjoying the cracks <laughs> that the King was making at the expense of the never-ending story? <laughs> I... <laughs> that is a very pointed question. Um, yes, I did actually enjoy the jokes. They were funny because I have a sense of humor. Um, however, I did not enjoy that he did not understand why the horse's death was very important to everyone else it, around him. It, it, well, yes. Now, he also said – now, well, before I get to this next question, uh, was there a good crowd? Was the, was the cinema, was the room, was the viewing room, was it crowded? Was there a lot of people there? Nope. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> no. So when the King of Horror bursted, when he bursted out laughing at the conclusion of this film, it wasn't like there wasn't like people filing out that were giving him dirty looks that were like, "What is this guy laughing at?" 
No, no. No one gave him any dirty looks at all. I think more like they gave some monkey dirty looks uh, for him trying to climb I mean, well, over I mean, what else, what else is new? What else is new? Well, no, he tripped mm-hmm. over going over the right. seat trying to go to the bathroom. He tripped twice <laughs> over a couple seats. And made an ass of himself. Yeah. So that was a funny part of it. <laughs> Climbing over, climbing over the seats. What kind of the, was it? An old school theater? <laughs> yeah, very old school. Yeah, it was you a think the, the king of horror was was maybe on the inside, like affected at all by the never ending story, and he was trying to like put up some bravado uh, to not <laughs> show uh, his feelings, uh, or was he truly was he truly not understanding uh, what happened in the film? We're not we're not we're not taking well, it on an emotional I, level. I, I, I'm a, I'm not Miss Cleo, so I can't I can't tell you what he was actually feeling during the film. Um, but I will tell you that he continually said afterwards, I can understand why you guys like the movie. I just hated it. <laughs> yeah, direct quote. Okay, it's a fantastic reference on uh, Miss Cleo. Uh, there's a wonderful <laughs> podcast called Swindle that does a whole episode about her. So, um, fast, fantastic. <laughs> Truly amazing story, but um, you distracted so, so me. I was, was trying to king... reach out and with my feelings and touch and see if the king really felt something or not. <laughs> but all I see is <laughs> based on what I'm hearing in the background. Based on what I'm hearing back where you're broadcasting from, uh, Ghoul, you should be trying to reach out and choke your chicken. Oh, you know me, dude. I'm always <laughs> fucking around with them cocks. Well, I mean, <laughs> I was very surprised well, to find out again. that the ghoul's cock is a gender. So. <clears throat> You did send her a You know, he, 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 he pulls no punches. I've known this guy a long, long, long time. Um, so you shouldn't be surprised in, in the least. Um, no, so, things uh, just what, happen. <laughs> uh, so uh, at because the I conclusion the of this film, and... yes, I mean, the, the promo code is, is of the utmost importance uh, if you want the proper discount. It is, it is. Hmm. Uh, was the, so did the King of Hearts did he actually burst out laughing in the theater? He did, yes. He was very amused towards the end. Well, at least he didn't burst out laughing laugh during there. the attack scene. I did. I left on that scene, too. If I was in my the theater, I would have been yelling at you. Like, even if I didn't know who you <laughs> yeah. were, I would be, like, yelling at you. I'd be Public like, gaming. what is Public wrong gaming. with you? You would not have been happy with me. No. I don't know how Cheryl put up with me, but she did. <laughs> Trying to cover my mouth from laughing too hard. <laughs> just a very emotional moment in the film. You know, I had to sit and watch moment. The Lion King with you just to make him watch a cartoon because he had never seen a Disney movie ever. So sitting through that was a painful experience because here's like Who my walking around? Is there? How is there? Time. Come on, come on! How is there someone walking around that hasn't seen one Disney movie? I don't. I don't know if I. I never have. King of I didn't go to them when I was a kid. My parents didn't take me to the movies that much. So, yeah, I missed out on the whole Disney 90s thing. Like uh, Little hmm. Mermaid and uh, Lion King and all that bullshit. I didn't care. I'm going to say all these 80s <laughs> films, but he was too young to have seen any of them. So they would have been all 90s films <laughs> that he would have, to have seen. I know, I know, I know. I saw Flight of the Navigators. Does that count? <laughs> Which it doesn't, but... Saw it. it does. That's like an eighties. That's like an eighties kid adventure film in the eighties kid adventure. Good movie for its time, man. That sh- that ship was yeah. pretty damn cool. 
It's like a big thing of murder. Yeah, that you know? falls, I, don't know. That I, falls, I like the way they designed that. That even that falls thing. into the that falls into the same category as like a film like Daryl or The Explorers or any of those kid adventure films from that time frame. Without without a doubt. Oh, the Explorers was great until the end. Okay, when they ended up on the ship with the aliens and everything, that's when it just kind of went like in a totally another different, you know, in a whole other direction. I yeah, loved everything up until that point. Gentlemen, and I. Yeah. Gentlemen, I use the term loosely. I'm going to disconnect from the call. Thank you so much for letting me call in. I'm going to go back to drinking heavily so I can tolerate the podcast. Me too. Oh, oh thank you, you so much it? for those kind words. <laughs> uh, that That's like the yeah. most ringing endorsement I've heard for our show in quite some time. <laughs> yeah. I hope you enjoyed your purchase from Bonfire Bead Designs and all of the enticing and delectable photographs that came along with it. And uh, please continue to listen Absolutely. and support us. We truly appreciate it. We truly appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, so there you have it. First-hand evidence of somebody that wants to see First-hand evidence on the King of Horrors trip to the movies. (laughs) Somebody that's seen my cock. And then I found out that there was (laughs) more sequels than a cartoon series. No, thank you. (laughs) Who hasn't, bro? Who hasn't? (laughs) Um, but yeah, Listen, Doc, uh, at least, whether, at least whether you don't you have wanted... to watch the sequels, okay? Regardless, you don't have to watch the sequels of the Neverending okay, Story. So right. be happy with that yeah. at least. Mucky said the same thing because you saw the first one. That's all you need to see. He's like, just you know, settle with that one, and it's fine. Yeah, I, I understand the impact. Down. I understand why you guys love it. Just it wasn't for me. Uh, but Doc, I wanted to get into uh, some quick horror bits that we might have for the news for yeah. the movie system. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, uh, there is please, news. <laughs> please, please, I took so many uh, haphazard notes uh, today and yesterday as I was preparing uh, for our, our, our well-designed program. Uh, can you refresh my memory? Uh, has been, was the news about the upcoming Halloween sequels, was that broken uh, before our show last week? Did we talk about that last week, or has that happened in the in-between? No, that happened at we Comic-Con about the started on Thursday. Yeah, we All talked right about then. the rumors so, on Wednesday night. Yeah, about right. the news so, going back to back. So go ahead. Yes, what do you we got? talked about the rumors. Uh, so, yes, as we know, uh, as we now know, there are going to be two sequels uh, to David Gordon Green's uh, 2018 take on Halloween. Uh, there was rumors that they were going to film these movies and have them both be released within the same month of October 2020, but that's not the case. So what's going to happen is that both of these films are going to be filmed back-to-back. Uh, they're going to film them at the same time with like a small breather in between, and you're going mm-hmm. to have the first sequel... Uh, is going to be in October of 2020, and the second sequel in October of 2021. And David Gordon Green today says that these films are going to uh, close out the Laurie Strode, uh, Michael Myers saga. Uh, It will be done. Uh, He says Mm -hmm. the fun of it is seeing it end in knowing that it can end. If you just keep trying to elongate it and milk it for all the money, uh, then it's boring. What's um, they're doing. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we, we, well, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. But mm-hmm. we're not going to end up in like made-for-TV, low-budget part six garbage area. 
Okay, yeah. Or Busta Rhymes area. Part six was theatrical, Um, believe me. I know. I saw it in the theater. No, I I feel sorry for you. But anyway, I mean, look, with John Carpenter and John John Carpenter's involvement here, um, and his continuing involvement, I think is interesting. Uh, You know, we've said uh, many times when we've talked about these these you know tentpole genre stables uh, that you know they probably never ever will go away. They'll always come back somehow, and that's very similar Mm -hmm. to like Dracula and Frankenstein. You know, that they're always going to be. Uh, part of the culture, uh, but this well, time around, they're saying this is it. This is a wrap, uh, and you can look forward to Halloween Kills on October sixteenth, two thousand twenty, and Halloween oh. Ends hitting theaters on October fifteenth, two thousand twenty-one. Now, once again, let me uh, ask you: Who is it that's saying that this is the end? Carpenter, uh, David Gordon Green, and Carpenter both. Okay. Yes. Yeah, they're and, both. And, uh, yeah, they're and, always thinking yeah. Instagram. Yeah, the, the whole end, team. The whole, know, the whole team. Yeah, yeah the but whole, like the I whole, said, they're the uninspired titles. Like Halloween Kills, ugh. Halloween Ends, okay. Like, call the next one Halloween, the Revenge of Orchestra. You know, if you want to continue the story. I mean, but, uh, again, I call bullshit I don't, because I don't, Halloween I don't, 2018 is close to the end. Yeah, uh, you know, but still, there had been talk before that one even even debuted in the theater uh, that uh, you know their their expected success that was coming with it was going to lead to yeah. more. I don't. I would mm-hmm. have to go back and look. I don't know that if I recall anyone ever saying, "Oh, we're making this one standalone film." Um, if there's going to be potential for more, but you know, it was tremendously successful, and uh, you know, we can we can sit here all day and argue the quality of it. Uh, you know, right. I right. I had a great time when I saw it in the theater. I have since gone back and looked at it again. I haven't been able to watch it from start to finish, but I've certainly uh, watched mm-hmm. you know chunks of it here and there. And there are yeah. looking at it more critically now. There are things that I enjoy and things that I don't. But I think overall, I enjoy it more than I don't. And I think it was successful. And I think these guys did an admirable job and did a better job than I could have done. And I look forward to see how seeing how they're going to continue the story. Yeah, I just and I want to get the ghoul's thoughts on this. I wanted to get mine in really quick. Because uh, I'm a huge fan of Michael Myers. The whole problem I had with 2018's Halloween was that they were touting this as the final confrontation between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers, the one that you've been waiting for for 40 years. They're making Michael mortal. So that's going to be the whole twist. I haven't been waiting for 40 anymore. years. You're only 35. Well, 30, whatever it is. But um, they were saying that they were going to make him mortal. You are, you, are, so you are 35. You haven't been waiting for that, 40 years. That they were going to – well, between the first one and this one. Uh, but they were going to make him mortal. They were going to make him be able to be killed. So he gets his finger shot off. He gets shot in the neck, shot in the shoulder, hit by a police SUV, and then set on fire in a trap that Laurie made specifically so he couldn't escape. But yet they're going to make two more movies. Yeah, they are dragging this out. They're just, you know, it's a cash grab. They made a lot of money with Halloween 2018, so they're going to make two more sequels and then say it's a wrap. I don't believe that. It's not going to be a wrap for Michael. If it keeps making money, they're going to keep making sequels. So Halloween Ends, I think, is kind of a silly title. Because money talks. So Halloween Ends makes a lot of money. They're going to make another one. And they're going to call it Halloween Not Ends, a, but he really ends. It's not even just about money talks. I mean, the fact of the matter is this. You know, David Gordon Green and fucking John Carpenter can say it's the end all they want. If they're not the people that own the characters and own the rights to the franchise, 
it ain't them who gets to say anything about it. In their heads, you know, this is yeah. just the same as when Tom Savini says that Jason Voorhees wasn't alive at the end of Friday the 13th <laughs> yeah. Part 1. Yeah. And guess what, man? Mm-hmm. Fucking 10 sequels and a remake later tells us otherwise, you know? So they, their portion of that story ends. Um, is it a cash grab? Yeah, of course. I mean, look, they made money. They've got a story. It inspired people to write more for it. Um, I'm hoping that mm-hmm. the story is at the minimum of similar quality to what we got in 2018 because I didn't hate the fucking movie. Um, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. Right. At best, I hope that we get something better and maybe we get two movies that do connect. I never felt that at the end of 2018's Halloween that Michael Myers was trapped in a way that he was never getting out. You know, I nope, did not feel not. like that was the kind of ending that, that really was ending the franchise. I thought that was a lie more than died. anything else. Yeah, more well, I figured if they were ending the franchise, Lori would have died. Nope, it could have continued without her because they had the granddaughter that could pick up the mantle of Lori Strode. You know, they could definitely do something with her rather than having to go back to the well of Lori. Like, she should have died in that movie. And then with a sequel picking up with the granddaughter, you know, kind of taking charge against Michael, I would have bought that. Hook, line, and sinker. Uh, the fact I that you're going to keep with Henry like- Curtis. The granddaughter was a good character, but I don't think she was a strong enough character to to nope. be the female the next lead, Lori, you know, and you know, right? You know, maybe I mean, that's something that can develop. You know, maybe that's something that develops over the next two films. Oh no, absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right there with you. Please don't make Judy Greer the next heroine for this franchise because that she grated on my nerves the entire movie. You know, we know she's probably going to be back in some capacity, but it's just, how do you explain? I don't know. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, obviously, because I'm a Halloween fan, but it's like, man, you're going to have to fucking Halloween resurrection us with this explanation as to how Michael escaped this trap that Lori built specifically to fry him in. You know, it's going to be, oh no, it was actually a paramedic that was down there the entire time and he fried. <laughs> you know, don't give us that explanation. <laughs> That'd be great. It wasn't really <laughs> him the whole time. No, it was actually a sheriff that dressed up like Michael to scare everybody, and that's why he's down there. Michael was really out there. Like, no, I don't give a shit. It was the doctor. <laughs> you know, even though we saw the doctor die earlier in a very bloody oh. nasty kill, it actually wasn't yeah. his death. Instead, he was just, you know, <laughs> verbally immobilized and just, for whatever reason, was still going after yes. Lori. Yep, believe it. <laughs> you know? Oh, his head actually wasn't smashed. That was a dream sequence that Michael had. Now, he's still alive somewhere, mm. just hanging out, waiting for Michael to come back. Halloween. Yes, oh, and, in, and in the but, spot where his corpse should have been was just a cum stain left over from Michael. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you guys are okay with Halloween kills and Halloween ends? I mean, that just sounds like a fan fiction film. Like they couldn't come up with more titles. Are titles. Retarded. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> even give the titles. I don't care. I didn't give the titles. I don't know. I didn't give the really. I didn't really give the titles two second thoughts, man. I don't. I don't, I don't think I mean, it's such it's just, a big deal. Um, you know, like I, mean, I said, I the, movies, the movies will, will tell the tale, you know, and I'll, I'll wait till reserve. Yeah. I'll wait. I'll wait till reserve. Judgment. Yeah, I just, I think they need I mean, a good title to kind of hook you in. You know, and those didn't. Oh, I think it. the problem is, is that, you know, they, they can't really go numerical with it. 
No, you know, nope, they because they called the last one just Halloween again. Mm-hmm. Now it's considered Halloween 2018. Um, yep. You know, so it's one of those where you know, I guess they should. You know what though? This is the kind of thing that could end up changing at some point or another. Um, That's true too. I know they've yep. announced that that is it. This, these are what the names are. But you know what? They also originally called you know Avengers: Infinity War Part Two. Um, as yes, what eventually became Avengers Endgame. Um, so, you know, there, there, there are things that can change there. And I think if there's enough backlash against the names of the movies, they'll do what they have to to actually come up with something maybe a little yeah. more imaginative. And there has been, which I was happy about. I saw a lot of people online going, that's really it? You're going to call it Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends? Like, come up with something more imaginable. You know, I mean, the movies can be great, but the titles are what drags you in, and that's what hopes you. So, Halloween, I mean, like you said, Michael finally dies, but maybe not. <laughs> yep. This is really kind of it. Maybe, sort of. Maybe. <laughs> you know, in Halloween great Kills, prepare to watch yeah. people die. And in Halloween Ends, there will be credits. At the end. <laughs> and maybe a post credit. We don't even know. Marvel, you teach us the mm. word. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, but we'll see what happens. But uh, Doc, why don't you hit us with uh, one more before we get to the movie tonight? One more? What if I have seven more? Well, then hit us with uh, several. Uh, in a row? <laughs> uh, so, uh, Marco Robbie and her production company, Lucky Chap Entertainment. Uh, partnering with Assemble Media and Warner Horizon are going to bring the Ameri- the Ameriscares Ameris book series to the mm-hmm. small screen. I am not familiar with Ameriscares, but apparently it, uh, it's going to be a family-friendly horror anthology with a road trip spirit. Uh, again, this comes from the Ameriscares book series, of which there are 10 books, uh, eight mm-hmm. of them written by someone named Elizabeth Massey and two written by Stephen... Uh, Mark Rainey. Uh, each of these books take place uh, in a different state. Uh, so the series is going to follow that same uh, pattern. Uh, no word on where this series is going to debut. Yeah, they don't know yet. It's so early. I know it's Margot Robbie's production company. Uh, Lucky Lab Productions is going to be doing it. Uh, I posted this on the Facebook.com slash so Dr. Terror page earlier. Um, I'm just happy that family-friendly horrors is still around, you know, and it's still accessible because it, it's not just for adults. It's for kids, too. So I'm kind of excited to see what happens with this, to kind of introduce it to kids and be safe and be fun and have them enjoy horror that's not, you know, completely dark and gory. Dark and gory. Uh, speaking of Margot Robbie, uh, Margot Robbie, I and the ghoul girl have acquired – tickets to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood tomorrow at 7 p.m. So we shall be enjoying it. I cannot wait. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm hoping to get tickets this weekend to go see it. If I don't, it's okay, but I'm looking forward to hoping uh, to get those tickets Uh, because I can't wait to see this movie. Every trailer I see, I get more and more excited. Like I think this might be one of my favorite Tarantino films. I don't know. haven't seen it yet, but definitely has potential. It is a long one. I can tell you that much. It's about two and a half hours long, um, a little bit more. Okay. Uh, so it is a uh, – it's definitely going to be 
something to uh, to not drink too many bottles of water during. But aside from no. that, you know, for, for all of you others that imbibe in other alcoholic things, just don't drink too much because you're going to ruin the fact for everybody else. Oh. Absolutely. Don't talk. Don't All bring right. your baby uh, to the fucking theater either, man. No, please don't. Yeah, leave them at home. Get babysitter. Go see this movie. Enjoy. Leave the kids. Leave the babies at home. This is for you guys to enjoy. You know, they could find other things to do. They could anticipate America's scares, <laughs> you know, coming to a streaming service or a TV near you. Um, uh, Doc, uh, what else do you have for us? I am one who knows nothing uh, well, I don't know nothing. I do know some things, but I have never seen Talk one minute smoke. of anything having to do with the Purge universe. Uh, I have seen none of the films. I have watched none of the TV series, but what I did learn is that season two of the Purge television series is going to move off of Purge Night and explore the other 364 days of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Purge series. Uh, the Monkey and I watched the first season. That was on USA Network. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was only eight episodes, so it's a real quick watch, especially if you binge it. Um, and I'm looking forward to season two, where they show you the first episode is supposed to be on Purge Night itself. And then it's going to go off of Purge Night into the lives of everybody in between and then end at the start of Purge Night. I think that's pretty cool because that's not something that's been explored in the movies before. It's always just been purge night, everybody getting ready for purge night, and then it happens. So to explore what happens in between, I think that's kind of an original idea, and I'm looking forward to it. Hmm. I don't know. Considering the names of the movies in the show are the purge, I think watching the purge portion of it is what you know, the majority of people actually want to see, you know, like, I don't know. I, I don't think I want to watch a show, you know, that exists within that world yeah. just to kind of know what everybody's day-to-day life is when they're not murdering and, and killing people. That's just called life, you know, like, am I going to no, watch them go to fucking work? I mean, it could be six episodes. You don't know. They didn't announce. I don't think they announced how many episodes it's going to be, but it could be like, six episodes and wrap up that story. But it'd be interesting to see how they handle day-to-day life after the purge. Like, what's the fucking cleanup like at the purge night? You know, like, all these dead bodies on the street, all the police having to go back to work and cleaning up all the death and all the destruction happening in the cities. I want yeah, to see dude, you know, so. dude going back to work and seeing his boss when meanwhile he just raped his boss's wife the night before, you know what I mean? Like, that exactly. kind of shit. I, I can actually, you know what? Now I can actually see where they could do some fucked up shit with <laughs> yeah. that. But at the same time, I'm not going to yeah. watch it. Well, I'll watch it. And I am not going to watch it. So I'll have to let you know uh, how it goes. Um, okay. Uh, do you have one more before we get into the movie tonight? Because I want to get into uh feature. Sh- sure. Uh, so, Creepshow, the upcoming... The upcoming series on Shutter that will debut September or August or September 26th. I can't remember which one, uh, but it is the 26th of one of the next two months, just not July. Uh, the show, every episode is going to be packed with Easter eggs uh, going back to the original film, including, and here's something that I learned that I did not know. Uh, apparently, in the original Creepshow film, 
uh, there is an ashtray that makes an appearance in every segment. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, this ashtray is going to also appear in every episode of the Creep Show series. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, they say that this is a uh, labor of love that is going to be packed to the gills with Easter eggs. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, for one, am looking forward to getting a chance to check it out. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see where they put the ashtray because, yes, that was the main Easter egg in the film. Is that that one ashtray that shows with Father's Day showed up in every other segment? That was kind of George playing with everybody, seeing if they noticed that ashtray show up. And it was a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to see what other Easter eggs they put in the show. Um, and yeah, I think that it, it premieres on Shudder in September. They released a trailer for it, which looked kind of good. Um, still no word on Survivor type. I guess that's just a non plus issue at this point. I think they just said they were going to do it and just decided not to. And they're not going to explain to us why they didn't. But it's not going to stop me from checking out the series. So, I have Shutter. I'll watch it, and hopefully it's good. Yeah, hopefully it's good. Uh, all right. So I want to get into the feature tonight, talking about Jordan Peele's Us from 2019. The story follows a nuclear family going on a summer vacation, but the summer vacation is broken apart by a family of doppelgangers that look exactly like the family themselves, and all hell breaks loose. Um, this movie came out in March of this year. Uh, Jordan Peele's follow-up to Get Out. Uh, I saw it in the theaters, and then I saw it subsequently on uh, media, on Blu-ray, and it's uh, definitely a movie that I really enjoy. <clears throat> because when I was a kid, I used to have dreams about a doppelganger of myself following me in my dreams, something that wasn't exactly me, had imperfections, but I had nightmares. You mean was, was, was probably happy and had an imagination and enjoyed kids' TV? <laughs> no. You know, yeah. This one was so like Disney kind films of dark. and Star Wars and Atreyu. Yeah, maybe. But no, this one uh, cried took over my wife. Death. Yeah. But in, the, in my Masturbated dreams, Masturbated like a regular human life. being. <laughs> yeah. No, this one uh, in my dreams took over my life, and it was a disturbing set of dreams that I remember talking to my parents about. I didn't know why I was having them because the, it just it always disturbed me to think that there is something that we don't understand happening in a world that we don't know exists. And to wonder about that, if there is a world where there is somebody that looks exactly like us, acts like us, but they're not us. And I think that's why I love the movie so much. Uh, so without further ado, Ghoul, what would you think about us? All right. I mean, this, is the, this was my second viewing of this film. I, uh, I'll be completely honest. The first time I watched it, I think I came away a little disappointed. Um, mm. by it. It did not meet the expectations I think I put together for it based mm. on Peel's first movie, uh, Get Out. Mm. But watching it this time around, I have to admit that I think I came around a little bit on this movie and I saw okay. things within it that I didn't not that I didn't catch the first time, but I feel like this is the kind of movie that gets better with subsequent viewings. When you kind of know what's actually fully going on within this world, you kind of catch more things the, the more you watch it. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Sure. All right. Uh, Doc, what did you think about us? Um, 
Hmm. This is a tough one, man. Uh, I this is a film that I won initially because this is one that I did make it a point to get out and see in the movie theater and have that cinematic experience. And if I didn't say this on the show when I did see it uh, on the I don't know Sunday, Saturday or Sunday afternoon uh, that I walked downtown to see it. Uh, it was like a you know like a one o'clock show or something like that. I had the entire theater to myself. I was the only person there. I had like a private screening, and that was awesome. I remember that picture. Uh, but yeah, yeah uh, I just um, you know this is a film I guess similar to what the ghoul is saying that I really was looking forward to and really was hoping that it would be something uh, that I would love. I think anticipation was high based on Get Out, uh, and this is one that kind of. You know, maybe I'm missing all things or whatnot, but it's just, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm not crazy about it. And I think that, uh, and I don't even know what the answer is, but I feel like it's close to something that, that, it, that it missed. And I don't know what that means, but that's, what I, that's the sense I get uh, when I see it. Because um, yeah, when we open the movie, we have young Adelaide, who's celebrating her birthday with her parents on the Santa Cruz boardwalk in 1986, and we also get a commercial as the movie opens up for Hands Across America. Um, there is a videotape, I don't know if you guys noticed, of Chud, which is next mm-hmm. to the TV, which kind of alludes to underground dwellers. Um, but you have her kind of wandering around and her parents paying attention to her, but not really paying attention to her. Like at one point, the father goes to play whack-a-mole, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll watch her. You go to the bathroom. And of course, she wanders off into the, the uh, weird kind of Fun house with the hall mirrors um, as a rainstorm starts, and she encounters herself in this hall of mirrors. So it's kind of a, a duality of sorts, and you don't really know what happens. You just know that she sees herself, and you cut to modern times with Adelaide uh, and her family. Um, I love Gabe, who's played by Winston Duke, who was in Black Panther as Mbaku. I thought he was such a great so, character because he was kind of. So was Adelaide. Adelaide was Nakia. Okay, yeah, that's right. She was in the Black Panther as well. I forgot about that. I know yeah, what Duke was, but I forgot about interest, her. So. Um, <clears throat> but I like in in us, he's kind of like a father, but he's kind of nerdy. Like, you don't think that he's going to be a very strong character. You know, he's telling a lot of dad jokes <clears throat> when we get introduced to him as they pull up to their summer house for the weekend or the week or whatever they're going to spend it for. And I, just, I kind of appreciated his character. You know, just wearing the glasses, very kind of unassuming. Uh, you have Jason, the son. You have Zora, the daughter. And then, of course, Adelaide. And I, I just thought that the unit itself worked for me in the movie. Um, what did you guys think about the unit as a whole when it was first introduced? Because I thought they all kind of had their own things to do. But it, it seemed like they all worked. Go ahead, Doc. <clears throat> um. You know, as a unit, like, it's interesting. You know, it's just something that we don't see all that often. Like, we don't see no. uh, in in a in a film, in the film world, we don't just see, like, a normal, everyday, average African-American family uh, presented as just that, uh, with no real, um, you know, stereotypes or, uh, you know, things that you would assume uh, just a kind of regular matter-of-fact family unit. Um, and I feel that that's something that's certainly interesting to see on screen when you're going to see a, a big movie that's not, that's not you know, 
an, a film that's obviously made for and targeted to the African-American community. And this is um, something I want to uh, point to both of you, uh, Ghoul first. Um, you have the family of Adelaide, Zora, Jason, and Gabe, but you also have the family of John and Kitty Tyler, uh, a white family with twin daughters. Josh. And to me, it seems like uh, Gabe was competing with John a lot in the movie. It seemed like John Tyler had a lot of money. He had a big boat. You know, he was living out in the summer, you know, his life. And it seemed to me like Gabe was competing the entire time to kind of be like, oh, look at me. I got a boat, too. I got a speedboat. I call it Craw Daddy. Um, to me, that kind of brought up classism in a way and kind of like, yeah, you know, maybe we don't make as much money as you, but we still got the same things and it's better. But I, I don't think they played with them enough, but I felt like it was there and the underlying factors of this movie. Yeah, I mean, listen. <clears throat> I, I mean, all right, so to, to go on the family unit with them, okay? I mean, you know, I'm going to... Yes. To, uh, I, I'm trying to think of ways to word this because I don't mean any of these words as being no, offensive okay. words towards them. But like, okay, yeah. you know, obviously as as white or Caucasian yeah. youth yep. that grew up in suburban New Jersey, um, you know, and particularly, you know, me and the doc because of our particular age, I think a lot of our introduction or experience as far as African-American culture goes comes through films that were centered in the ghettos of like Los Angeles. Like, you know, mm-hmm. again, yeah, I'm a boys, boys. Boys, in the, boys in the hood and, and you know, Slam, right, right. you know, Society, what was the name of the movie? That wasn't called Slam, man. There was a movie with Tech Nines, not Menace to Society, a different one. But yes, Menace, Boys in the Hood, all trap? those kind of films. So, so, yeah, when you was, sit there, was it what's trap? that? Say that again? Strap. Yes, thank you. With Bokeem okay. Boke- Woodbine. Um, mm hmm. Yeah, it was Joaquin, you know, it was so, Joaquin so, Woodbine, and and the other dude was the dude that was in the rap group Onyx that had the song Onyx, Slam. Onyx, yes, Slam, yes, I know, yeah. I know who it was. I don't, I don't remember the kid's name. So I think you know to to sit there and say like you know it's not what is the stereotypical African American family. I think that is really what is portrayed as the stereotypical African American family in our perspective. Now, at the same time, too, looking at it, I think for the most part, a lot of people within the African-American community, and more particular, those that are raised in more urban types of centers, are going to look at somebody like Gabe almost like an Uncle Tom. You know, Mm -hmm. that's just how they're going to see him. He is... He is a very much, and I don't like I said, I don't want to say this in a way that seems weird, but he's very much a normal person. You know, he doesn't yeah. seem yep. ghetto oriented. He doesn't seem like he's the kind of guy that's going to throw down or start a fight or have a. You know, hey, listen, to yeah. quote a, a to quote a line from the Boondocks, he ain't going to have an end moment. You know, like that is, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, look up the Boondocks. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's such a classic fucking episode with such a classic moment. That show is fantastic. Um, 
Yeah. With very similar things to what Jordan Peele, I think, tries to show in his movies. Um, if you do notice, though, Gabe's wearing a Howard University sweatshirt. You know, so we yes, know he, he went to a predominantly black college. Yep. So, I mean, either that or it's just representative clothing, but I took it as he's college educated, (laughs) and that's where he went. I think that was purposeful. Um, Yeah, I think it was purposeful. You know, so as far as there being competition between him and Josh, um, yeah, but I felt like it was friendly competition. Be no different than, like, me and the doc going back and forth about something, you know, like – Josh gets what Josh gets, and, you know, he spends his money however he spends it, whether he's got a better job, whether he's got – however it is that he's doing or getting what he gets, I don't think it's something that is, hey – I don't think Jordan Peele is trying to slam it over our head, hey, he doesn't got what Josh has because he's an African-American person. Like, I don't feel like that's what he's trying to show. I feel like he's just trying to show friendly rivalry between two people. And I think if you're, you know, I think some white people will look at that and feel like that is what he's trying to show. But I never feel that between them. Yeah, and I love the fact that it could be interpreted any way you want. You know, I'm like I said, I'm agreeing with a lot of what you're saying. And it could be kind of viewed either way. Um, what I like is the fact that when – Adelaide is upset about going to the Santa Cruz boardwalk. She doesn't want to go. A lot of apprehension. Very on guard even when she's with the Tylers, um, especially when Jason walks off and he sees the one homeless man <clears throat> wearing the uh, trench coat. He's bleeding from the hands because he killed his tether. Um, and then she's looking for him on the beach, and she finally finds him and just freaks out. Don't run away. Don't ever go away. Don't ever run away from me. And you kind of understand that this is what happened to her. Back in 86, she doesn't want the same thing to happen to her son. So that's why she's very on guard. Um, to your point, Ghoul, though, I like when we get introduced to the Tethers, the family, and you have Gabe. Obviously, just kind of a very nerdy, very dad type of character, but when he grabs that bat, I fucking love the scene. When he goes outside, and he's like, all right, you know what? I'm calling the fucking cops, y'all. I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now. You might want to leave. And then he tries to man up, and he goes, if y'all want to get crazy, we're going to get crazy. And then as soon as they start approaching, he's like, oh, shit, and runs into the house. <laughs> yeah. I love that door. he runs back in, man. There is no <laughs> moment in which all of a sudden, you know, he's going to become some big, tough guy that's going to start trying <laughs> to fight people. No, nah, he wants – he's being – what I think he's doing with just about 90% of what the yeah. rational people yep. in this world would do, which is, hey, you I know what, man? That. I don't know who these people are. I can't see what these people have. I have my family in the house, my safest bed is to get back inside there with with them and try to fortify my location. And, of course, they find the key in the rock, which I love the fact that they have Ugh, the key what in the a rock. White it's like the whitest do. thing you possibly do. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's how they eventually break in because you have uh, Zora's, you know, tether, you know, jumping on the roof, and then you have everybody else breaking into the house. And then when they're finally on the couch and they're being confronted by this family – Jason's the first one that goes, they're us. Like, and you see that they are the doppelgangers of the family. I mean, you have Gabe's doppelganger. You have Red, who's Adelaide's doppelganger. You have Zora's doppelganger. And it's just, 
one of those frightening things of like you're presented with people that are exact copies of you, but they're not you. And I thought that was such a brilliant way to introduce them, especially with uh, Red, Opita Nyong'o, playing a complete opposite character of Adelaide. And the inward breathing that she does, I thought was such a brilliant choice, where she doesn't talk like a normal person. You know, she's just, I can't even do an impersonation of that voice. That's how good it was, just talking about why they're there and why they're tearing the family apart. Yeah, well, I mean, what they're giving you is hints. You know, Jordan Peele spends this film dropping little crumbs for you to follow to kind of gather what is going on. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing, you know, and obviously I'm sure you guys will be like, well, of course you did, blah, blah, blah. You know what? I actually (laughs) did figure out what went on. I never at any point felt like what happens at the end was a surprise. Um, oh, yeah. I just yeah. liked. I did enjoy how it Hands got across. there. Hands across. <laughs> what? Yeah. Hands across America, dude. <laughs> oh yeah, well, hands across America. Yeah, you know, it reminded me of the Goldbergs episode, which I actually want to go back and watch because that was actually a classic. That's episode a good episode. Them. Um, We're supposed to get Scott Bale. I, really... I think of I think of Beer Fest, man. I think of Beer Fest when Hands Across America. I think of Beer Fest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, yeah. Lapita Luongo's performance as Red is great. You know, it is. It, it, it's almost like she's another person at this point. Um, they all kind of do a great job of going into their their creepy performances. Yeah. Um, I think Jason, you know, the, the young son, also does a good job of kind of, you know, portraying Fantastic. fear, and then his twisted self is kind of just bizarre in that weird... Uh, you know, the chick from like the freaking uh the ring film, Samara and all that Samara, kind of shit. Yeah. Like, you know, just just creepy in that mm. kind of way. Yeah, and I love the fact that uh Red, who as we know her as a doppelganger, she talks about how, you know, there was a girl who went on the ground and they had the rabbits and how she had to marry this freak and give birth to his monster children. And then when Adelaide says, Who are you? she goes, We're Americans like to me that like that was a huge line for me because it's like yeah we're not aliens we're not monsters we're not zombies we're you we're americans like you know there's nothing about us that's any different than you you know and you have to tether yourself at this table i love the fact that you said that you know not you have to handcuff yourself at this table you have to tether yourself at this table because as we find out later that's what these people are they're tethers and, I mean, she refers to herself or, well, she refers to the person as a shadow. There was a shadow yeah, yeah. that, you know, did this. And, you know, when this person did this, this is what happened and so forth and so forth. And what you're getting in this this little snippet here is that everything <clears throat> is, it's a mirror image. It's a twisted mirror image. Yeah. You know, because Adelaide went on and met Gabe, you know, Red was forced to be with Abraham, Abraham. Yeah. you know, and, and so, so nothing was ever within Red's will. She never had a choice in all of these things. So especially when you find out that Jason was born as a, uh, a cesarean birth yeah. and Red tells how she had to do it all herself, meaning she cut herself mm-hmm. open to pull that child <laughs> out of her. 
that is just, you know, that's insane when you think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's the fact that they have the chase sequence where uh, Gabe has been injured by Abraham and he's being dragged out into the crawdaddy boat to presumably be killed. You have Zora being chased by Umbre, her doppelganger. And then you have Jason and Pluto wearing this cool mask. I mean, I like that mask that he was wearing. And then being forced into a closet to play a game with him where Pluto has matches because he burned himself as a tether. And then you have Jason with this trick that he has, which is like the top of a lighter. It's like a magic trick. And like, they both like fire, you know, they both like to play with it, except Pluto got burned. And then when you see the makeup on this kid, it's amazing. Like it looked great. Mm -hmm. Well, what we also get though, is, is that we see that Jason figures out that he can make Pluto mimic his movements. You yep. know, so yep. that that I think was and a, none of them other, none of them realized that except for Jason, which I thought was interesting. <clears throat> none of them realized that they could have this power, um, except for Jason, who realizes it that he can manipulate his tether, you know, by doing the things that he wants him to do. None of them realize it except for him, which I thought was interesting. Um, but yeah, Abraham uh, taking out Gabe on the boat, and then Gabe overpowering Abraham and killing him with the boat. So you have the one tether down. So now it's like, well, I have to go back and save my family. How am I going to do it? Well, Jason's already evaded Pluto in the closet, and Zora has managed to escape Umbre, which is interesting because Zora is faster than Umbre in a way because they both made it a point to say that they're runners in the beginning of the movie, that Zora was on the running team. And, you know, I like the fact that they're setting things up. Well, you got to remember, too, though, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> Umbre was distracted by having to go stab that other guy. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> this random guy, you know, she ends up stabbing with the gold scissors that they all carry, which I also like because it's a great uh, thing that they don't always use, but the fact that they all have gold scissors and they all have one yeah. leather glove on their hands. Kind of like well, the, I know the leather, the leather glove was a reference to Michael Jackson. Yeah. Um, particularly, mm-hmm. again, we get the other throw, you know, the other <laughs> reference to the Thriller T-shirt. Um, <laughs> yeah, tee-hee, shemong. Um, the, the gold scissors, you know, I haven't figured out what those are yet. The ghoul girl brought up a I great question on that, too. Where the fuck did they come yeah. from? Um, like, right. is there some scissor maker down there that's just churning out because they all have beautifully yep. shiny gold scissors because every single body every single one of them has them so and as, yeah. as we're about to get to we're going to find out that there's more of these things and which is that, the feel, part yeah yeah that, because when i first saw this movie i thought it was just going to be this i thought it was just going to be a home invasion mm-hmm. movie with these doppelgangers, and it was going to be at the family trying to escape these doppelgangers. But then you find out that it's so much more, because then they go to the Tyler's house, where John Tyler is sleeping in the chair, he's listening to the Beach Boys, kind of having his drink, and you know the wife's telling him to go to bed. We got to pack up. We got to leave tomorrow. And he's like, Yeah, I guess we got to do that. And then all of a sudden, their tethers show up and butcher everybody in the house. I was like, What the fuck? What? There's more? Like, there's more tethers? Like, it took them by surprise, and I was just so happy that they did this. The show, it's not just this family that's being affected. It's everybody. 
and see that for me and what I think for this film in particular, I think you go one of two ways. You either, one, you can accept it and say, oh, okay, this is going across the world and this is everybody, or across the, the United States, and this is everybody, or you go, oh, this is across the fucking whole entire country, this is pretty fucking stupid. And that's how I felt the first time I watched this. Because realistically, yeah. what I figured we were getting was a very personal and a, 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 an encounter between that family, their doppelgangers, and yeah, if their friends or their other people ended up getting involved in the situation, then that was fine. You know, if the Tylers were killed by doppelgangers, or maybe, you know, maybe Gabe accidentally kills his friend Josh, you know, for a moment of drama, because he didn't know that it wasn't, you know, somebody else that was coming to get him at some point. Like, that is the kind of tension I was expecting to see within this film. So for it to go this route was such a a shock and I guess a credit to the to the people that did the advertisements because they kept it yeah. pretty well hidden that this was gonna go on any bigger than, than what it was. But it was so dramatically different than what I expected that I think for me the first time I watched this movie it just shut me off to it completely. Yeah, and to me I was kinda of open to it, especially when Elizabeth Moss who plays uh, the wife of John, uh when she's being killed by the tethers she reaches out to the tether of John, kind of to help, and she reaches her arm up, and then he does the whole classic Josh, arm. Josh, his name is Josh. It's not John, I think it's Josh. Josh. Okay, Josh. Oh. Um, but then she goes, uh, Alexa, call the police. Play, NWA, fuck the police. <laughs> and NWA <laughs> yes. plays over this scene of her getting killed by the tether. Like, I was like, that's kind of fun. Like, yeah, I, just, I was having a good time. Well, it's funny, too, because, you know, we know that Gabe, you know, well, that Adelaide had called the police. They said they were going to be there in 15 minutes. They still haven't shown up. Yeah. You know, at, nope. at this point, I'm wondering if that's a comment on the fact that the police just aren't responding to something they don't feel is important enough, or is it a response on the fact that they don't feel like it's important because this is an African-American family, though they don't give us any interaction with the cops earlier to let you know that they would even know that this was an African-American family. But again, coming into it the second time around, now I'm looking at it saying, well, of course they didn't show up because they're busy dealing with their own fucking shit because these tethers are attacking everybody everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the way I took it too, Google, is that they are so busy with everything that's going on, they can't pay attention to this one family saying, oh, we're being attacked. Like, yeah, we'll get there when we fucking get there. Like, we're dealing with a lot of shit right now because now all of a sudden all these people are showing up in red jumpsuits and killing people for no apparent reason. So, yeah, we'll be there when we get there. It's, you know, and I know a lot of people are like, well, maybe it's because you're a black family. And I was like, it's not a black issue. Well, no, I, I don't think, it's think just when she initially busy. speaks to them, they're being attacked yet. I don't think anybody's getting attacked by the tethers. I think everything was kind okay. of a coordinated attack in which, yeah, you know, we know that the Jeremiah guy had already gone down because that guy's standing there at the beach. He's the first one we see yep. getting ready yeah, for the dead. line um, to go across. Yeah. Um but I feel like that was one of those when Adelaide was talking to the cops the first time, it was just a regular response. I just know that later when we're in the Tyler house and they're trying to call the cops again, and now they're not getting a response. And you got Gabe saying, you know, like, how, how can you be on hold this long with 911? You know, <laughs> so now you know that it's a much bigger scenario. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, Doc, Here we go, the question I want to ask you. Because after they escape the Tyler's house, they drive to onto the Santa Cruz boardwalk, and they see Pluto standing there by a car. And they see him standing there, and he's snapping his fingers, just almost to the I Got Five on song that they played earlier in the movie, which plays into the finale. But he's standing there, and Adelaide goes to confront Pluto. At any point, well, I don't think, think we should. Well, hold on, I don't think we should be skipping to that point yet. I mean, this is like going right into the end of the movie. I mean, the whole entire Tyler household kill scene and Zora's yeah. turn. I think is also well, stuff that is, is all interesting things that are yeah. going on, you know. Plus, we're starting to get these well, the golf little little bits and pieces of, of other things. Yeah, because she kills them at the golf club, the tethers. Like very easily takes them down. Even Jason's, you know, taking part of this to get rid of these tethers. Um, the one thing that I did, because now that you bring it up, is there was a shot in the movie where they show the untethered twins laying in the hallway. And that is exactly the same position that the Grady twins were in in The Shining. Like, that was Jordan Peele putting that kind of Easter egg in the movie. Because if you watch Damn. it, and he pauses it at the right moment, it's the exact position of those bodies on that. the original times. They also say that there was a similar shot early in the film when they were driving in that was very reminiscent of The Shining as well. So Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah Jordan Peele obviously had a lot of Shining references. And I remember when he did interviews for the movie, he dressed up like Jack Torrance for a lot of interviews. Red coat, you know, red jacket, and then the uh, plaid uh, shirt underneath. So he was definitely trying to homage Kubrick's Shining. No, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't actually, I didn't pick up any of that. The one that I did, the only one that I did pick up on was the, um, like the, the Lost Boys joke uh, towards the beginning. Oh, the but I didn't pick so up on any movies? Shining stuff. <laughs> you know, yeah, eighty six in the boardwalk. Yeah, that was a cool reference mm-hmm. that they were making. And plus the thrower shirt that you put on, which plays in the finale. The Jaws shirt. You know. Yeah, I mean, well, the thriller, yeah. the thriller thing. I mean, that's that that that's, Jaws that's shirt obvious, at a beach but like, is great. Yeah, the, the thriller thriller is obvious, but like, you really got to know what's what. I feel like because you know, while the movie. The Lost Boys takes place in a fictional beach town. It was filmed yes. on the boardwalk in Santa Cruz, yep. so yep, uh, with a carousel scene. So when they walk by, and say, "Oh, there's a, a movie being filmed over by the carousel," um, you know, you just got. I feel like that was a cool little little thing that was thrown in there. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, when I saw the movie in the theater, it's like that's great. They're referencing the Lost Boys, which is being filmed at the same time. Uh, I did love that Easter egg, and that's like for horror fans. Like, I'm not sure if anybody else would pick up on that, unless you're a horror movie fan. And yeah, I definitely picked up on that. Um, but, yeah, like I said, we, we talked about Zora kind of unleashing herself on uh, the Tyler, but also on her tethered umbre when she gets into the, the car. And she's I'm going to drive. I got it. And like, no, no, you don't. You're too young to drive. She says, no, I got this. Trust me. I got it. You know, leave me alone. And she ends up running into her tether and killing it. <laughs> you know, uh, great stuff. A very interesting scene, I think, as well, yep. because you have Adelaide, you know, going there and watching yep. as Umbre is dying. And she's yep. tr- almost trying to soothe her still, you know, because, yep. uh, like, yep. me and the Google, again, me and the Google girl were talking about it because you know, even though she knows this isn't her child, it is. 
You know, she looks exactly yep, like is. her daughter. No matter what, this is kind of like, you know, this is mm-hmm. your, your kid. And you're watching yeah. her die. And, again, even as just a human being, you know, watching anybody, let alone a child, actually go through that. But knowing, though, it's so bizarre because Umbre is, like, laughing at first. Mm-hmm. Like, she yep. doesn't even realize it because she's so mentally gone and twisted. But then yep. you can kind of hear it in the change in her breathing as she's, mm-hmm. like, taking those last breaths she's of, like, scared. desperation and life and fear. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, completely scared. And that's why I love it so much. And that's why I was talking about, uh, now that we're getting to it, is the scene at Daybreak where they go to the Santa Cruz boardwalk and they, in, they get introduced to Pluto again, who's snapping his fingers over and over again. Um, Adelaide goes out because, like you just said, Ghoul, I think she feels that these are her kids, so she's concerned for them. And that's why she goes to confront Pluto. And that's when Jason realizes this is a trap. Like this is, he's planning to kill us all. So when he puts his arms out and starts walking backwards, you have Pluto doing the exact same thing. Like he understands he has the power to kill him. Like he can overpower him just by walking backwards. And you see Pluto doing the exact same thing into the fire and Adelaide being completely terrified. Like don't walk into that fire. Don't do it. Like, you know, and it's a powerful thing because her son is behind her and the doppelganger is in front of her and she's scared for this kid to be walking into the fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, I think that's like a- any, you know, human being who's got empathy and sympathy. You know, if you're watching a human, another human being about to go do something that you know is not only going to just cause bodily harm, but is going to actually, you know, kill you. That's uh, you know, that that's that's not something I think anybody as a human would ever want to witness and watch. Let alone again somebody that looks. Exactly like your child. Yeah. You know, and especially when yeah. he's got that mask on and you're only seeing his eyes, he looks exactly right. like Jason. Yeah, and knowing he's going to this fire to die, you know, only to lead Jason to be abducted by Red and to be brought back into the underground you know, where the tether came from, um, and leading Adelaide to put Gabe and Zora in the ambulance. And say, stay here. I'm going to go get him back. He's my son, you know, and leading into the underground. Back to a place that she never wanted to go back to. A place that she's afraid of. And I just, I love the scenery of the scene. I mean, it's so beautifully shot by Jordan Peele. Because you have the escalator and you have all the rabbits hopping around that have been eaten by these tethers. But that's the only food that they have. And then when she goes into the classroom... And you see all the chalkboard kids holding hands because you know that's the only thing that these tethered hats is holding hands because of Hands Across America. And Red explaining exactly what happened, that they were an experiment by the U.S. government. (laughs) Well, I mean, they gave enough so that you just kind of know, but I thought it was good enough. The fact that Red explains that they were an experiment by the government, that they were making clones, but – they could make the perfect clone, but they couldn't clone the soul. The soul is tethered to whoever they cloned, and that's why they just decided to abandon the project. Like They could not separate the soul from the person that they cloned. So they abandoned us, and they left us on the ground. Another thing that I felt like was making a message about class and about poverty 
how the poor and the downtrodden are often forgotten, you know, and, and again, like I may be reading too much into this and I'm sure I am, but it's, not at again, all. It just, it, it affected me in a way where I'm like, you know, this is just a message about how if you're poor, if you're broke, if you're homeless, if you're poverty stricken, the government and everybody else forgets about you. You're not somebody that they care about. You're going to be a tether left to die with nothing but rabbits to eat. And I don't know how you guys felt about that, but that's the way I took it. Go ahead, Doc. I talk a lot. You do? Okay. (laughs) Um, Talk. Take your fucking time and actually talk. Who? You. Me? You. Me? Who? Wait, whose turn is it to talk? You go ahead. I want to hear right. your thoughts. Um, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, King. Um, you know, I, I for one, and again, like I said before, uh, you know, I this is a film that I just don't know or, you know, just don't know what to make of. And, like, <clears throat> watching it, right. um, you know, I'm trying. I never – I mean, I feel your analysis is, 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 is pretty deep, and I feel like uh, it's a pretty intelligent analysis. Like, I, I definitely wasn't thinking – uh, about it that much in in those kind of regards, but I was just more so just trying to like wrap my head around what I think was going on because I don't know I just I felt I felt just confusion you know this is where I where I where I was saying earlier that I feel that there was something here but in in my opinion it was something that just missed I feel like here uh, when you kind of get down in there. Uh, is where it missed. Like I just, I, I'm, I'm not so sure that I fully get what exactly was going on there. Mm. And uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that in this classroom sequence, you get well, hold on, man. what I think you know, is the best. The, the, oh, I'm sorry, cool. go ahead. So uh, I think that absolutely this entire thing is a dissection on class. I think when you yeah. take this and break it down just from when the shadow when the, the tethered are first interacting with a Adelaide and Gabe and all of that, you can almost look at them as two sides of an African American culture's life yeah. here yep. in yeah. this country. You know, you have yep. the ones that made it on one side, the ones that, you know, live in the ghetto, grew up in let's say the Detroit, you know, or, or, or some other shithole you know, like Asbury Park or freaking Camden, yeah. you know, a, a, yeah. any any number of places that when you drive as a, as a white person, you lock your fucking doors, um, you know, like, and they're looking at it from the perspective of saying, you know, you guys have this, you know, this is what we want, you know, now they're not yeah. looking at it saying that you worked for it, that you did whatever you did to gain it, but they got it anyway. You know, and that's what they want. They want it shared. Um, I think that's where the whole hands across America thing keeps coming in. The idea is that everybody's going to share all of this stuff. So, yeah, when you're going down into these bowels later and you're finding out that this was some government experiment and that it was originally designed to control people, mm-hmm. um, yep. that is where I feel like – I feel like this is one of those things that got thrown out as an idea, maybe by Jordan, maybe by somebody 
else that was writing with them, and they never fully decided what to do with it. And somehow that, that idea still got slipped into the movie, but they never gave you real – because, again, like if the idea was that the tethered were created to control people, then why is it that – the tethered are the ones that are following all the things that the people on the above land are doing. Um, yeah, and it, and it you leads know. to something that I wanted to talk about later. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, no, go, go. Um, no, I was saying that when you get down to the classroom sequence with Red and Adelaide, where she's talking about this, and she's like, you know, you guys have had everything above ground. We had nothing. You know, we're just basically thrown away to the wolves, and we only had rabbits to eat. And she's making the, the little uh, paper dolls, and she's cutting them apart to show that they're not together anymore. Um, it's just it, it, then they have uh, the the sequence of Adelaide above ground in '86, walking on the boardwalk, and then you show the sequence beneath the ground. I fucking love this whole sequence because you see what the tethers are doing, and they're copying what they're doing above ground. So you have Adelaide and her parents, and the parents below ground are just moving their arms in a weird way and just kind of copying what they're doing above ground as opposed to what they're doing at the, the boardwalk, even the, uh, the whack-a-mole, you know, where the tethered on the ground are just bashing their hands into a wall. And then you have people on the roller coasters that are standing in a hallway, just moving up and down. Like it's just, it's such a weird, bizarre sequence to see these copied movements um, of the tethers as compared to what's going above ground. And then when Adelaide, you know, decides to say this is, you know, not Adelaide, but uh, Red decided to say this is what happened. This is why we're joined. God brought us together at this point. You could have took me with you. You could have saved me, and you didn't. And I just, I love that point. Uh, you could have <clears throat> taken me out of this underground, and instead, this is what happened. Like, you're to blame, in a way. And I love it. And this is what I was getting to is that um, Red kind of moves like a dancer in this scene to the Looney's I Got Five on song. They're playing the instrumental where she's dancing around Adelaide. And, you know, every time Adelaide tries to take a stab at her, she moves out of the way. You know, it's very choreographed, like a dance. You know, and it's, you know, her moving out of the way. Every time Adelaide tries to take a strike with the, you know, with the poker, Red moves out of the way. And she's in the hallway, and she's still moving out of the way, you know. And I thought it was such a brilliant way because it showed you that Adelaide was a dancer, and it was a copied response. Well, yes, but also what you had, too, during this entire sequence was Adelaide explaining how she organized this. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, how Red Red. explained how she organized it. But what you actually also realize here is that this is because of Adelaide. None of this would have happened if it wasn't for Adelaide. Adelaide, you you keep seeing the sequences where Adelaide's parents are at, like, some uh, therapist or something. And there's the one repeated line where he says, you know, like, if you need to encourage her to talk, you know, to dance, you know, to draw something, something to show what it is that she's feeling and where she's Mm -hmm. come from. So we're seeing now Adelaide at an older age at a dance 
you know, recital, and she's dancing yep. up on the stage in the above world, and her tethered is doing that exact same dance in the underworld. Yes. But now when you take the end of the film into account, what you realize is the dances that the above ground Adelaide were doing meant something to the people in the below ground. They saw yes. the, the yes. dance movements that Red was doing, and they saw themselves in it. They saw somebody say, yep. giving them a message that they had never yep. seen before. It was like, oh, my God, look at what this person is doing. They're representing everything that we're feeling, and we can't even say because we can't speak. You know, that's the thing. All of these tenors, yep. they can't even talk. All they can do is make these guttural and, and, and animalistic types of noises except for Red. Yeah. So she then, from that point on, becomes their leader. And to her, this was a message from God. And now this became something that she was meant to spearhead and bring these people to the light. But in order to do it, she needs to have them all murder their alternatives. Right. And that's what I was going to bring up is the fact that they do have that dance sequence where she's wearing the tutu and just dancing. And that's when they decided that's our savior. Like, that's who's going to get us out of here. Like, that's who's going to save us and bring us above ground. And that's when uh, Red says, that's when I decided I have to put this in motion. So it took years to do. But I eventually got them all on board. So that's when you see the suiting up of all the Red Mm -hmm. jumpsuits. All of them being handed golden, you know, scissors. They're all wearing the brown glove on one hand. And it was the, the call to action. Like, Red is going to save us. Red is going to be the savior of us all, and she's going to bring us above ground. And she goes, it took years to put this in action, um, but it eventually happened. So when Adelaide and Red are doing their dance below ground, like I said, it was beautifully choreographed by Jordan Peele. Uh, this is dancing what didn't to the hallway, but it's when he gets mm-hmm. to the room where they have all the beds, where Red finally decides to unleash herself and attack Adelaide where Adelaide puts the poker through Red. And that's Red finally in her dying moment decides to whistle like she did in the Hall of Mirrors, like showing you that I'm still you. You're me, I'm you, and I'm going to whistle until it leads to Adelaide strangling her with the handcuffs that she's been wearing. And it's a brutal scene, but it works because it's like I'm, I'm killing myself in a way. Like, I'm finally mm-hmm. reading this madness. <laughs> Sorry. I have to walk by the chickens, which is why they made that noise. Um, yeah, no, Joke it definitely it. is. I mean, you're, you're, you're watching. No, well, that's why they make that noise. You know, they get all excited. Um, it's definitely a brutal scene. It's, you know, it's up close. It's personal. Uh, anytime you have those kind of close proximity slow death sequences like that you know it's something that when it's done right on film it is yeah. very intense and very you know like i think of like the scene in saving private ryan when uh, oh, the one kid Nazi? is fighting the other guy in the fucking yep. the, the jewish kid is fighting the other dude and they, they're fucking going back yep. and forth and he's got the knife at the one point and he's like no 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 no, no. Yep. you know what i mean like when he realizes that yep. he's gonna fucking die dude that sequence is so tense and that entire fucking like it's just such a personal fucking thing that it's like wow man like when that is done yep. right it is fucking like mind-blowing 
and this was one of those where it was close to it. I wouldn't say it was anywhere near that kind of level, but it was no, close. Nope, I, I enjoyed nope. it. I agree with you there about Saving Private Ryan. It was nowhere near as close because that still affects me to this day. Watching Saving Private Ryan and seeing that Nazi that he befriended in the movie. Like that was his friend, you know, when they captured him. And to see that same Nazi kill him, it, it was so just heartbreaking to see this Nazi kill him. But in us, it worked almost the same way where you have Adelaide screaming, this very primal scream, as she ends Red's life. And then knowing that it's over, I can go get my family, I can put them in the ambulance and, you know, get them to go. Um, it was disheartening in a way because you see them driving away and you still don't really know what's going on until that final scene where Adelaide, that you think is Adelaide, looks at Jason. And then you get that flashback of what really happened. That the person that choked her out is Adelaide. And to me, that really fucking, you know, just fucked with me when I saw the ending of this movie is the fact that it was Adelaide that is choking out who we think is red. And it's the opposite that the person you see driving in the ambulance at the end is the tether. And then when she looks at Jason and smiles at him, and then he puts the mask over his face because I think he realizes who she is. It kind of it made me think about who Jason is. Because well, you got to realize Jason that. Is a tether too. Well, both of their kids, it's not that they're tethered. Both of their kids, Red's kids and Adelaide's kids, are both half. They yeah. both are yep. kids that are, are half tethered, half untethered, whatever you call the above ground fucking people. Um, yeah. So it does, you know, it leads to that. I, I think what Jason ends up realizing that his mother is like that is from those, those, those noises that you hear come from her at the end. After she kills mm-hmm. Red, yep. those sounds that she's making are the same sounds as the tethers. You know, it's not a human-like sound. It's a sound like almost, again, an animal guttural type of noise. Um, Yeah, you could chalk it up to her having to, you know, churn up those internal feelings and survival mechanics, and that's what made her (laughs) go all kinds of primal. But I just think what that was is that is her tethered coming out at that point, you know, and I think that was that was the moment where she kind of realized something was off. What I didn't like so much is when we're showing, when they're showing you the red, or whatever, however you want to say it, Adelaide, the, 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 the tethered that? version, the, yeah. the, 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 the version of, of her that was the, the little kid that chokes out the other one. Okay. She's, yeah. mm-hmm. she's doing it in a malicious way. You know, we're oh, constantly yeah. seeing yep. her like with these evil smiles and these these nasty yeah. looks. So mm-hmm. the idea that she ends up, I mean, I guess it, maybe it's a message of hope in which, like, you know, even like this person that was that fucked up could still live and end up having a normal life if, you know, given the opportunity to do so. Maybe that's what Jordan Peele's trying to say. Like, if you take somebody out of the ghetto and you put them in a normal suburban family, they're going to be a normal person. Um, Yeah, 
I completely took it that I way. I don't know, yeah, but like, absolutely. Like again, like with the the evil looks, just kind of like kind of gave me like that. Yeah, you know, like I don't know, like yeah. Again, like it may, I, just I mean, they played it up really well, malicious on her end. I mean, they played it up really well though in the end, in the end, but they showed the flashback. You know, where the mm-hmm. evil tethered is taking her body into the tethered on the ground. You know, strapping her to that bed. You know, basically just saying, "Yep, I'm going to come up and I'm going to be you." Yeah, you know, and I'm going to be you, and that's it. But I think what you just said makes a lot of sense. But it's like it's not necessarily that she's evil; it's the fact that she just kind of becomes what she's going to become. You know, which is a normal Mm -hmm. person. You know, they show in the flashbacks that she doesn't talk, like you said in the therapist's office. She doesn't talk, you know, because she doesn't know human language. She has to learn that. You know, we don't get that until the end when we realize that that's a tether, <clears throat> you know, that got out of that uh, hall of mirrors. She doesn't talk because she doesn't know how. Like, she had to learn. You know, she had to learn basic human behavior to become who she became. And that's why I love that Red has that really weird talk, like the end was talking, because she got choked out. And I felt like maybe she yeah, got her throat, you know, crushed. Yeah, her throat was permanently damaged is what I took it as. Um, yeah, and yeah. that's why I she mean, can't talk uh, normally. Again, I mean, I think all of those themes are there. I mean, all of these things are are, are there to interpret. And, and like I said, I think watching it the second time, and, you know, again, it's one that I'm definitely going to watch again. I feel like it's, yeah. it's something that you – you learn more, you you pick up more, and even if it doesn't create a, a, a deeper understanding to it, maybe you know what we've what we've come up with is everything that it, there is to it. I think it lends to a deeper appreciation of what he actually did create with this film. Hmm. And I, uh, Doc, I know you dropped for a while, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the finale when it's revealed that Adelaide is actually the tether. Right. Um, huh, I don't. Need, how do I even explain it? I don't know, man. I'm frustration. Okay. Uh, and I yeah. did drop, yeah, but yeah, man, like again, like from about uh, maybe from after the Tyler's house on, like I was just extremely frustrated the, the whole way. Um, you know, I I was. Maybe I'll go back and look at it again. I, I don't know if I will or not, but, um, yeah. you know, mostly frustration. And then, I mean, uh, obviously looking at the clock at the very end, and then obviously all of the tethers uh, hand-to-hand, you know, stretching across the land. Like, I don't know, I kind of, kind of, yeah, I don't know, kind of roll, roll my eyes a little bit. I don't know, like, I, I honestly... At the ending, when you find out that Adelaide is a tether the entire time in the ambulance, I really felt bad for Red. Like, it gave me that moment where I'm like, you know what? The entire movie, they're trying to make it seem like Red is evil. And you have to defeat Red if you want to get your family back. But when you realize that Red is actually Adelaide, it made me feel bad for that character because she had to suffer underground for many, many, many years. With these people that are mad and unhinged. Yes, but here's the weird thing, right? Okay, so now you can either say, yes, Red was down there, 
and completely forgot that she was ever above and right. went mad with them. And hence why she doesn't ever just simply say to her that, you know, you took me from there. You know, what she says yep. to her is that you mm-hmm. could have took me with you. You could also That's interpret right. this yeah. as in maybe they, you know, maybe they didn't switch. And maybe she's just out of her fucking mind. But I really think That's the big stupid. question is this. If all the people underground are mimicking all the things of the people above ground, why is it that it switches when Adelaide switched places with Red as a kid? You know, like right. she said, you know, you met Gabe, I got Abraham. You know, so mm-hmm. when she had uh, uh, Zora, she had Umbre. Why mm-hmm. is it that the tethered up top ended up having everything hap- that happened to her happen to the real person down below? You know, that, sh- that shouldn't be. Remember, because the people in the above right. ground are the ones that affect the ones underground. Right. And it shouldn't happen that way, but it was the complete opposite. Like we had said earlier when she said, I had to marry this monster and give birth to his monster kids, like cutting herself open just to give birth to Pluto. You know, so it's like the complete opposite of what happens above ground. So, again, like did, I said, it's, it's, yeah. Or did, you know, I mean, this just kind of entered my head. Or did this not happen the way Red is seeing it? Did Red meet Abraham? Mm. And that's yep. what led to Adelaide meeting Gabe. Did Red get that pregnant? And that's what led towards Adelaide, uh, Adelaide getting pregnant. You know, like, where are these lines drawn between the tethers and who? Because we see Jason control uh, Pluto. Pluto. You know, we don't see yeah. it going the other way. We don't see Pluto no, control Jason. No. You know what I mean? We see the people from above controlling the people below. But, yeah, like uh, the doc said, we have like three minutes to go here. Yeah, I know. We have a lot of questions, but, you know, if we revisit another – We'll revisit this. Two uh, years from now, we're going to watch this again and talk all over again. We're going to do a review of us and be like, oh, my God, I watch it with new eyes. I get it. Uh, So the monkey was unable to join us tonight, uh, but he did make a pick for his pick, which is next week, and he's going back to 1961, Wayne Castle's Mr. Sardonicus. Uh, he did send me a link so you guys can watch it free, so I'll send it to you after the show is over. What, what, that is what the fuck is it called? Mr. Sardonicus, which is uh, a favorite of mine from William Castle. Oh, yeah, so I will send yeah. you the link. Right. Um, he doesn't like the story. Fucking likes him when he calls Mr. Sardonicus. What the fuck is that? Wait, I, know. I just I, I can't have wait to hear him come back news. so he can defend Everemy's story. I have breaking news, by the way. Uh, so the King of Horror, who has made it very clear that he is not a fan of fantasy films, the never-ending story, shit's and most of that ilk, is going to uh, make these statements, and I have it on good authority from an anonymous source, uh, that he is uh, a very big fan of The Princess Bride. I am. Yep. I am a big fan of that movie. Great one. All right, but we don't have time to talk about that. We'll talk about it next week, and I will talk about my love of Princess Bride. Uh, so, See you later, Doc. Doc. Thank you so much for joining. <laughs> Adios. All right. Uh, hit us with a plug real quick. Uh, Goals, uh, close out. Hey, 
everybody, real fast, because we've got like 60 seconds here. Go to Bonfire on Etsy, all one word, Bonfire Bee Designs, all kinds of jewelry, rings, bracelets, necklaces, all handcrafted stuff, beautiful things. And yes, like the doc said, cock, 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 pussy, pussy, pussy. You put that in as a promo code, you know, just write it in as an extra message. Just be like, hey, you know what? This guy, the ghoul, said cock and pussy. He said he's going to send some shit to me if I say cock and pussy. So put it in there, and you'll get a cock, and you'll get a pussy, and you will fucking love it. Bonfire V Designs. All right. Until next week we meet, we're talking about Mr. Sidonicus next week. Keep him strong. Watch horror movies, and motherfucking watch yourselves. Stay scared. <laughs>